Welcome. I'm Jeremy Brock. Um, on behalf of BAFTA, welcome to the 10th edition of the BAFTA International Screenwriters Lectures in conjunction with Lucy Gard and the JJ Charitable Trust. Our thanks also go to the Curzon Cinema for hosting us while we do up the front room. Um, it gives us huge pride to be hosting this year's opening uh, night speaker with uh, Pedro Almodovar, fated countless times at Cannes, the winner of multiple BAFTAs, Goyas, Césars and Golden Globes. Pedro is internationally renowned as one of the world's foremost filmmakers. Since his first feature in 1980, his works as a writer and director include Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down, All About My Mother, Volva, Julieta and this year's wonderful Pain and Glory. Good afternoon. You know, the title of this lecture is Telling Stories. And I will try to read uh, directly in English. So, wish me good luck. <laughs> you know, I always put, this is something that I see, I suppose that this is part of being an, a screenwriter. I always put titles of everything that I do, at least that I write. Well, uh, I have always conceived of cinema, the films I've made, as a representation of life. Not as light itself, itself, but as its representation. Perhaps for that reason, the scripts I've written until now have been inspired by reality. Reality in all its manifestations. What I hear, what I see, uh, what I experience in my own life, the films that affect me, the most atrocious events that have read about in the newspaper or the most surprising and moving ones. Family life, friends, solitude, beauty, the failures and the pleasure that one finds throughout life and in the origin of fiction. I have always been fascinated by creation in itself and by the interaction between the process of creation and its creator. New items in the newspaper, exaggerated and extraordinary incidents, are usually a great source of inspiration. For example, I read in a newspaper that in New York a woman in coma for nine years became pregnant and gave birth to a child. Uh, a few days later, they discovered that the culprit was an oddly in the clinic. Beyond the moral judgment, what struck me most was that a body which science had defined as clinically death, death is determined by the brain, could engender a new life. That extraordinary fact inspired me to make the first note on Talk to Her, the story of a perfect nurse who looks after a young woman in coma with whom he ends up falling in love. But I'm not inspired only by extraordinary facts. At times, uh, inspiration comes from everybody, everyday situations. It's best if I give you an, another example. I was in a bar having a coffee. It was time for the news program, and the television was on. 
The female newsreader talked about a murder. A man had been found dead. It suddenly occurred to me that I'd like the newsreader to continue saying, and I know who killed him. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you. <laughs> the idea amused me enough uh, so as to make a few notes. Uh, I went home and developed, and developed the situation uh, the situation that had just occurred to me. And then I thought it was a good idea for a short film. After a few days, I read the minute story again, and I found it interesting. I was intrigued by someone who could do what the newsreader did, and fascinated about the idea of a confession of such caliber taking place uh, right in the middle of a news program. I immediately wanted to write, I mean, to know the reason why the newsreader killed someone and then confessed it. And also what happened to her after the public confession. But to satisfy my curiosity, I had to write everything that happened before the television program and what happened, what happened afterwards. Reality provides you with the first lines of the story, but the writer, if he is sufficiently curious, must write the rest to know what happens. In such an everyday situation as having a coffee in a bar while the television was showing a news program, I found the seed of high heels. Um, it can also happen that what inspired uh, the first idea disappears while uh, this, this, the film is being developed, I mean, the script is being developed. At, at times, the inspiration, the starting point of a narrative, is an excuse that leads you to a story that you couldn't imagine before. And the origin of the story, what drove you to write, to write it, disappears along the way. Chance is an essential part of writing, as are tenacity and curiosity. Well, and of course, talent. Uh, writing a script is always an adventure. I always have the impression that I'm not the owner of the story I'm writing, but uh, rather the story chooses me as a way of manifesting itself. I act as a medium. The author's relationship, at least in my case, uh, with the origin of the story and its development is always mysterious and unpredictable. I am not the one who decides it at least until a first draft if achieved. Uh, that is where the most important work in writing begins, correcting the material time and again. Writing a script is rewriting it continuously until it's time for the sound mixes. Uh, when I say that inspiration always comes from reality, I include myself as part of reality. Generally, inspiration has its origin in exterior reality, a book, a film, a conversation, something you've told, um, and so on. But inspiration can also come from inside oneself. We are still in the realm of reality. But in this case, the reality is inside you, inside your heart and your memory. It's an intimate reality that doesn't always have to be confessional because fiction always appears crouching in the first ideas, feeding of them 
and dominating this reality from a certain level of writing. I have fallen back on, on certain elements on more than one occasion in order to write my scripts. My mother and my childhood. Uh, I also mix in stories or texts that I have written before and that find their place years later in some of my stories. Cinema, films, both as a spectator and director, and the memory of a love cut short when it was still alive and beating. Motherhood is a recurrent element in my filmography. What have I done to deserve this? High Heels, Bolbear, The Flower of My Secret, All About My Mother, and Pain and Glory. And now in Spanish. No pensé en mi infancia. I didn't think about my childhood until the start of the century when I turned 50. I suppose that I didn't like that what I remembered and deliberately renegated it to a dark corner of my memory. But the passing of time drives you to look back in a natural way. I suppose that's what we call maturity. When I started making films in 1979, I was in a great hurry to live and to tell stories. I only looked ahead, greatly stimulated by my present as a young man in Madrid, enthusiastically devouring the first years of the Spanish transition. Also, the past was contaminated by Franco's dictatorship, and I consciously erased it from my memory as if it had never existed. All the films I wrote and directed in the 80s, from Pepe Lucibon to Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down, were made from the denial of the dictatorship. As if Madrid, the city where I lived, and the characters about whom I was writing had been born in 1977, after the death of the dictator. I only looked ahead. I didn't feel the need to look back until the start of the new century. That retrospective look led to two very different films, Bad Education and Volver. Bad Education showed the worst of my childhood, the darkest memories of my relationship with a Salesian and Franciscan priest with whom I studied for my high school diploma. In an equally spontaneous way, I recovered the memory of another part of my childhood which, with time, had turned into the opposite of the education that I received from the priests. I'm referring to my early rural childhood up until the age of eight. Those first eight years, surrounded by women, my mother and her neighbors, were my real formation as a person. It was the 50s. I paid a lot of attention to them and was fascinated by the life of the women around me, strong women, fighters, cheerful. They initiated me into life and into fiction. Even though there is no child in Volver, the story is based on conversations that I heard from the neighbors in the La Mancha patios, stories of dead people who appeared of incestuous rapes. Or when I went with my mother to wash clothes in the river with other women, it's one of the happiest memories of my childhood. Another element that forms part of my scripts are the texts that I wrote at different times in my life and that I've kept in the form of notes, personal reflections, short stories or unfinished scripts. I can give you an example. In Talk to Her, there is the set piece, The Shrinking Lover. The narration of a silent film, which the nurse Benigno has seen at the Cinematheque, a film that has disturbed him and that he recounts to Alicia. 
Alicia, the young woman in coma whom he cares for in the hospital. It's a set piece in black and white that could function independently, but they use its narrative to hide what is actually happening in the hospital room between Benigno and Alicia. During the writing, I had already empathized with the sweet psychopath played by Javier Camara. I knew that at some point he was going to rape the young woman in coma, because that was the original idea. As I said in the beginning, I had read the news item about a woman in coma in a New York hospital who, after being lifeless for nine years, had given birth to a baby. After a few days, it was discovered that she'd been raped by an orderly. I turned the orderly into a nurse, and even though I knew from the start that he was going to commit a criminal act, my duty as a narrator was to show the character in all of his humanity without justifying him, but explaining how he was. A bit of advice for writers, actors and directors. Never judge a character to whom you must give life, even if he's a psychopath. Personally, if I am incapable of empathizing with a character, I don't keep writing his story. And I had empathized with the character of Benigno, the nurse. And as if he were a real friend, I didn't want to see him raping a girl in a coma. Something inside me rebelled against the idea of showing that scene to the spectator. Nevertheless, as narrator, I had to transmit to the spectator what was happening in the hospital room between the nurse and the patient. Then I had the idea of covering over the rape scene with another narrative through which the spectator would understand what was really happening between Benigno and the patient. That was how I thought of using the shrinking lover as a front, which also suggested what happened in that room. I had already written this piece as a first draft. You don't invent something like that overnight. I cannibalized part of this previous script and introduced it into the narrative of Talk to Her. I've never wanted to have my biography written. My life is reflected in the 21 films I've made to date. All my life, in its different stages, my family, my country, my loves, my relationship with creation are behind the characters in the first 20 films. In the latest one, Pain and Glory, my presence in front and behind the camera is more obvious and more intimate. In this latest film, there is as much fiction as in the other films, but for the first time, the reference for the protagonist is myself. The research that I had to do for Antonio Banderas' characters was in my entrails and in my memory, in my own solitude, in my own pains and in my own fears. Two summers ago, I used to submerge myself every day in the swimming pool and I'd remain underwater, motionless, for as long as my lungs held out. And then I'd submerge myself again. I had recently been operated on because of my back and all the musculature that had been affected after the operation, which immobilized the lumbar half of my back. The most enjoyable moment of the day was the time that I remained submerged in the water. Under the water, because of the lack of gravity, all muscular tension disappeared. After repeating this ritual for weeks, I got someone to take my photo in this situation. Resting under the water with my arms extended, floating. I wanted to know what that image was like. I thought the photo was sufficiently mysterious and suggestive. 
and without knowing that that would become a script that I started writing. The water in the pool, the stillness and the darkness, under the water I always had my eyes closed, transported me to another liquid current, the river of my childhood. The river where my mother and our neighbors went to wash clothes. As we have seen already, for me it was a real party. The pain and the glory were established in those first two sequences. But I still hadn't decided to write a script in which my personal life would be so present. I thought, if I write in such a direct way about myself, it will mean that for the next two years I'll have to talk about my personal life in all of the promotional interviews, and I'm a very reserved person. After a moment of that, I did what I usually do when I write inspired by an exterior reality. Mix reality with fiction. Becoming aware of myself helped me look at myself with sufficient distance so as to write. I didn't have the impression that I was Antonio Banderas' character, but rather that he was someone who seemed very much like me and to whom I could assign my world. When I write a script, it doesn't matter what the inspiration is, there's a moment when fiction dominates the story. And what matters is that the result is plausible as fiction, even if it has moved away from reality. Water, the liquid current, had appeared from the outset as the element that would define the narrative. The different periods that appear in the script had to flow like the water in the river flows. The protagonist was already decided, a 60-year-old film director who suffers from various ailments and lives alone, isolated in his home. Depressed at the idea that he won't make any more films because he isn't physically able to do so. Salvador Mayo had never stopped until then. He had left an explosive, fast-paced life, both professionally and personally. And suddenly, a back operation, along with other physical problems, forces him to stop. He had never taken the time to think about himself. He was always occupied with the film he was writing, shooting, editing or promoting. Those were the four temporal cycles of his existence. His spring, his summer, his autumn and his winter were always marked by the film he was working on. The situation of isolation and inactivity in which he is living for the first time forces him to look back. He invokes the memory of his childhood. His life as a young adult in the Madrid of the 80s, the importance of cinema and of the big screen in his life, the memory of a great love that he had to end when it was still alive, and the bittersweet memory of his mother's last years. In this plot panorama, the three texts that I spoke about fitted perfectly with the subject. Salvador would get in touch with an actor with whom he had worked 30 years before, and they had ended up fighting. Paradoxically, this actor performs in an alternative theater, The Monologue Addiction, whose author is Salvador and which I had written in the 90s. I could also recover the story of the first desire and attribute it to Salvador's childhood. This annex didn't occur until the very last moment in the final stage of writing the script. During the writing, I wanted to save Salvador because it was like saving myself, but I couldn't force it. 
I lived through some weeks of uncertainty until I found a solution when, in the radiologist consultancy, Mercedes, his assistant, shows him the invitation to an exhibition of anonymous popular art. The invitation shows a watercolor of a boy sitting in an interior patio, surrounded by flower pots, reading a book. That child is Salvador, who remembers the moment when a young laborer drew the scene and then washed naked with water from a basin. Salvador remembers the child's perturbation at the first impulse of desire. This memory gave me the key to saving Salvador. After speaking to the radiologist, he goes to the art gallery and buys the watercolor. Fifty years later, the watercolor of the child surrounded by flower pots arrives in the hands of the person for whom it was intended. And for the first time in a long time, Salvador feels the pressing need to tell that story. When he arrives home, he dives feverishly onto the computer and starts writing it, first the title, the first desire. The need to tell that story provided me with the best way to save my protagonist. He should be the one to make the film about his childhood. Everything that until that moment in Pain and Glory the spectator has believed to be flashbacks is, in reality, the film that Salvador is shooting. Because the character's true dependency isn't on drugs, but on cinema, continuing making films. Finding a story to tell that possesses him completely, a story that would transport him to a place without pain. The territory where stories and their narrators live. It was the best ending they could imagine for Salvador and for me. Thank you. Now, Duncan could join me for the Q&A. Mm -hmm. Well, that was um, rather fantastic, wasn't it? I'm going to ask um, a couple of questions and then throw it open to, to the floor. Um, how many screenwriters are there, or proto-screenwriters are there here, people who are interested? It's a screenwriter's lecture. Obviously, Pedro is both screenwriter and director. So, go on. You can, you can put your hand up. Admit it. Yeah, wow, okay. Um, I wanted to start, actually, with just by making a point rather than asking a question. Yes. Um, because it's, um, it's so clear through... Um, Pedro's talk um, and his career, 21 films. Incidentally, we, I was born two weeks before you, and I feel as though I've done nothing in my life now. <laughs> um, uh, and so just talking, as he did at the beginning of his talk, about um, getting inspiration from newspapers, finding uh, interesting uh, incidents, things that... Would uh, he could turn into a story? Just um, I think there's a real lesson here for for screenwriters here, where I think when when people write screenplays 
in, in the UK gen generally in order to find a connection to the audience they think about genre yeah. um, so what are they going to write is it going to be a period film is it a you know a biopic is it uh, um, something for an adaptation is it a comedy is it horror they, they start with a genre and then somehow I think feel the responsibility to stick to the dictates of that genre all the way through and um, I think I think Pedro's way is so interesting the idea that all you're concerned about as you write is what the director in his case obviously it's himself is going to be able to make it of interest to the audience he's thinking about the audience all, all the time um, no I, I don't think about the audience. okay it just means that there I respect it. I mean, I, I love the audience, and I, you know, there is a moment when I, I only think about the audience. But that moment is when I finish the movie. Yeah. When, I mean, a week before the opening, yeah. then I'm, you know, I'm <laughs> shaking, yes. just thinking about the audience. But never, never before. I mean, I am, when I'm writing, I'm the more free person. I mean, even I'm more free than in my real life. I'm completely free and don't think in anything but the story. And as I said, I feel usually as a medium of the story and it's the story who asks me to do something or yeah. and something the story asks me to write something that I, that I don't want. But, I, but you know but the story demands it very clearly. Um, so if, uh, I never did, I mean, at, in, in, in these 20, 21 movie that I did, uh, because also the, 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 the audience, I don't know how is the audience. Uh, I don't know what phase they have. It's, it's, it's something uh, amorphous. Amorphous. Que, que uno no the audience is something amorphous that one cannot really know truly, and I'm always very surprised by who they are. I think even when the writer or the director think too much about the audience, they often make mistakes and then are surprised. I'm going to um, disagree with your own work. Um, because I think if you look at, um, just to name some of your early films, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down, High Heels, All About My Mother, Talk to Her. If you look at, I would say, people at film school should look at and study the first five minutes of each of those films. Oh, really? Every single moment of those first five minutes is of enormous interest. Um, the graphics, the music, the sound. It's, it's so clear to me that you are a master at holding the audience's attention. And that's a critical five minutes at the beginning of a movie. If people uh, are lost, then they then they turn away. Yeah, you know, I'm. I mean, always I'm. I try to be very clear to the audience. In this in this case, yes, I think about the audience, and I try. I mean, during the five the first five minutes, to tell what uh, will be the story about. So, like, como decirle al espectador, nos vamos a mover en este. So, in those first five minutes, the spectator must decide what territory we're moving in. And with every film I make, my intention is always to make that very clear in the first five minutes. Transparente con el espectador. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, another example that I, 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 um, 
is from um, the uh, from talk to her the idea that the the other chap who's not the one in the in the uh, who's not the nurse um, his uh, relationship was with a female bullfighter um, such an unusual choice of 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 role I think yeah. and and yet it pays off brilliantly at one moment when we see her fighting a bull um, and with this extraordinary um, Alberto Iglesias song. Yeah. And it just seems to me as though you are thinking all the time about the moments and how they're connecting to, to you probably. You know, I think of it as thinking of the audience. But that's just a, it's a sequence that you could not have had if she hadn't been a bullfighter, obviously. But it's, um, it's just an extraordinary... So it feels to me as though what you do is you find extraordinary moments that are going to connect to you and, and to the audience, whether they're dramatic or beautiful or they remind us of our childhood. Uh, and, uh, you, all the time you are finding... You feel the responsibility to find those things. I think you probably think of them as for yourself, not for the audience. Yeah, no, no, it's wonderful, you know, when that connection happens. And, uh, I mean, thinking about, for example, Pain and Glory, um, <clears throat> I listen to many people telling me that um, they don't see my mother when the young and the old mother appears, that all they see, they're our mother. And... Uh, of course, I was thinking about uh, a love that it was cut in a moment that it was still alive. But uh, the audience is not thinking about my biography and uh, uh, my love affairs in the past. But because this is a kind of experience that I hope that uh, almost everyone has in their life, just to love someone, and sometimes that you have to cut. Um, so this is, I mean, this is a kind of miracle when that, when that happens, but this is... This is how it is. And, um, but what you need is to be sincere when you are telling this kind of story. Then everyone feel, can feel identified with that. And uh, I mean, in the case of Talk to Her, uh, the reason that I, that I choose a bullfighter, a female bullfighter, uh, it was because um, I wanted uh, a profession very close to death. And uh, I didn't want uh, a killer. <laughs> so, you know, the, I mean, I cannot say that, but, you know, in Spain, I mean, in the Spanish, uh, the bullfighter, you call it matador, mm. which is exactly killer. Mm. Uh, so I wanted someone very close to that experience. Um, and also because just to be in coma is, I mean, for, for the science, uh, it's just a death. Yes, it's, it's a physical, because yeah. it's the death of the brain. Um, so it was because of that. Um, but it says, but you know, I'm really thinking about, for example, about England. I'm always, I'm overwhelmed that my movies worked, worked uh, so well here, because really our culture are very different. And, um, you know, I mean, at, at the beginning, I, I always thought to be too outrageous. For the for the British audience, <laughs> <laughs> so it's wonderful just to, I mean, to to feel this kind of reciprocity with the with the with the British audience. 
Yeah. I didn't try. You know, I never try, even in my beginning, that I have a reputation of being uh, like the Spanish infant terrible. Uh, I never try or wanted to outrage anyone. Yeah. I mean, it was my way of telling the story. It was my, my way of watching the world around me. Yeah. Um, so I respect when I was outrageous, but I didn't try. I mean, not in the sense, for example, that Madonna tried to be all the time outrageous. No, it's what, it was not my point. Okay. <laughs> all I can say is, whenever I need some tiling done, I'm calling Eduardo. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, uh, well, um, because we don't have that much time, can, can we open it up to um, questions from the audience? Yeah, and um, there'll be somebody with a with a microphone. Um, Pedro, thank you very much. I was at the Q and A last night, and there was a question that I was going to ask you. There's a moment in Pain and Glory where about the kid teaching the older kid to to write because he's illiterate. So I'm just curious to know. Was that something based on something in your your development, or was it was it is it meant to be a statement on illiteracy in Spain or something? Could you tell us a bit more about how you came to that choice in the script for Pain and Glory? Well, you know, all that um, I mean, all that block of sequences when they go uh, to live in a cave, um, part is reality. I mean, in that in that moment, I'm talking about the 60s, the early 60s in Spain. Uh, we were living under a post, a very tough post-war. So, I mean, almost the half of the country were migrating to the other places, to Valencia, to Barcelona, uh, to, to France, to Germany. Uh, and then my family, we migrate uh, to Extremadura. This, this, I mean, this family goes to a little village in Valencia. So I didn't live in a cave, but I know very well what meant to live in a very precarious way. And, uh, well, I mean, the lessons, that was true. This is unbelievable, but that was part of uh, my childhood. Uh, you know, the, the street that we, we, we were living, my, my, I mean, my family, were a very illiterate uh, street. Even it doesn't, didn't look like a street because it was uh, in casas. The it, was a, it was a street that you could barely call the street because the, the houses were made out of the kind of the material from which kind of bricks are made. Um, so it kind of looked like the background of a, of a Western more than a street where people could live. That, I mean, for my mother, it was awful. But for me, it was a, 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 like a space of fantasy. And then, and, and they were completely illiterate, all of them. Then my mother started reading the letters of the neighbors. Um, and I used to write them. I mean, they dictated me and I write it. And uh, also it was my, the idea, my, my mother's idea. And she thought, I think we could, I mean, just tell the mothers of the other guys. I think Pedro can teach I mean, the boys, I mean, the guys, because they were told he was like 18 years old. Um, um, las cuatro the four rules, rules and how and to read years. and how to sum. And so I was nine years old at this moment. And the, uh, after the work in the country, uh, I have five or, f five or six student big guys. Uh, and I did that. I mean, I, I, I teach them 
Uh, I, I taught them how to write, how to read, and all that. Uh, I mean, I don't remember, I mean, the, the sequence of the hand. I didn't take the hands of them. Well, it was part of fiction. Uh, but, I, but, but, I, but I did, you know that. Uh, and um, when, uh, then I put it here. The rest is, is, is fiction. I mean, I never fell in love with any laborer. But it could be. I mean, so I mean, I, I, you cannot you cannot take this movie like my biography in a literal way, literal way. Uh, but I was always very close to that. Um, I mean, I I knew all the paths that Antonio characters lived, and uh, and I feel very familiar with everything that happens in the movie. But it's uh, but it's, it's it's basically fiction. I mean, I'm the reference, but it's basically. A f a fiction, and um, but uh, this this it, it was true. It was part of, of reality. <laughs> I'm going to jump in again. Um, it, it seems to me that um, w when you started making films, it was just after Franco had died and um, censorship had been banished in '77, I think it was, um, and. So it must have been a sort of, like London 10 years ago, sort of, you know, enormous excitement. And it feels as though that spirit is in your films of that time. Um, fantastically funny, and uh, as well as outrageous. Um, and uh, is there a sense over your career that that, um, that turning into comedy, if you like, um, as a sort of natural move is, is not necessary anymore, that somehow you've got a little bit more serious. Um, there's not much comedy in your latest film. Um, very, very touching, very strong emotional stuff. And I wonder if you don't need that sort of vivacious quality anymore. Well, I would like to, to come back to comedy, but I don't know how and when. Uh, but I really would like to write a new comedy. Uh, but, you know, as I said also, I'm not the owner of the game, and uh, I'm not the owner of the story. Uh, just, I mean, the story comes to me. I have the first idea. And, uh, you know, the latest ideas are always very dramatic. And then, I mean, I, yo cumplo mi papel de medium. And I have to play my role as the medium of the narrative to develop them as best I can. But it's true that it's been a while since I've had a comedy idea. Que no se me ocurre una idea sobre una comedia. No sé si depende del paso del tiempo. I don't know if it's a passage of time or if I'm just getting old, but I would like to recover the spirit of the, those early films. A mí me gustaría recuperar el humor de las primeras películas. Okay. Two more questions. Who's the lucky one in the front row? Uh, hello, Pedro. Um, thank you for the lecture. It was wonderful. Um, could you talk a little bit about the amazing actors and actresses throughout your filmography? Because obviously, unlike a lot of directors, you come back constantly to a small group of amazing people. And sort of, and, and Duncan, you reference it in some of the later films. Like we've watched you grow. We've watched your film style grow, your storytelling grow, but we've also watched this group of actors grow with you. Mm. So could you talk a little bit about that group of people that you work with? Yeah, well, that, that's fantastic because, you know, I got the feeling that I have like, um, uh, like a family of actors. Uh, this, this is an idea that belongs more to, th to the theatre. 
Um, but it's, you know, I mean, you spend a lot of time with the actors, and uh, I mean, once you have the experience with them, this is something that I mean, at least give, gives me more security. So if I, when, I, when I finish writing one script, I always think if there is a role for the actor that I worked with in the past. Because you know there is, I mean, we, we, we know each other, we know that we understand each other. Um, so it's, it's a kind of advantage. So it is, and also because we have a friendly relationship, I mean, thinking about uh, Penelope Cruz, Antonio Banderas, uh, Marisa Paredes, I mean, many of them. And, uh, you know, I, was, I, th I think I was very lucky just to have met them because really just watching the profile or the screening of the clips, where I was very moved that, uh, because, I mean, I was a very lucky guy meeting these actors. Uh, because even, you know, uh, when I direct them, I am very demanding and they even change. I mean, they are different with me than with other directors. I even change the way of pronouncing our language. I mean, the music of the Spanish language. Uh, and they, all of them, they come like devoted uh, to do what I ask. And I feel, I feel so lucky that, you know, they are giving life to a fantasy that belongs to me, that this is a kind of treasure. This is, uh, this is unbelievable. Uh, I mean, for a director that writes its own story. So, and, and yes, I, I saw them um, development uh, and growing with their careers. Uh, fortunately, I, many of them became big stars, not only in Spain, but also out of Spain. And uh, I feel, I, I feel like, like the mother of them, you know. <laughs> I'm very proud uh, when I see them just uh, awarded in, in Hollywood or, or doing, I mean, or working with fantastic directors. This is a wonderful experience. And, um, you know, I, I employ a lot of time with the actors because, I mean, everything, every, every detail, every small detail is important. Everything you see on the screen, everything, the more little detail, it is important. And I, and, I, and I try to control that. But, you know, the eyes, the soul, the mouth uh, of the story, they, they are the actors. And they, they give their body and more than that uh, to the movie. So, I mean, among all the other disciplines, uh, uh, I employ a lot of time with the actors because I think that they are the main thing in a movie. There's some disembodied voice in the back. <laughs> Hola, Pedro. Um, Hola. Uh, antes de más, gracias por su cine. Me gusta mucho. Y siempre quiso preguntarle si... Uh, porque para mí siempre pareció que muchas veces los personajes más raros en sus películas, como Agrado, Entonces sobre mi madre, uh, Antonio Banderas en Ale de Deseo um, o Victoria Abril en Tacones Lejanos son los más humanos, los más emocional, emocionalmente honestos. Y quería saber si eso resulta de su necesidad de empatizar con ellos o no y um, si tiene un personaje favorito. 
Would you just like to say yeah, what the question I'll yeah. translate that for the audience, if yes. you like. Um, so the question was, there's a lot of empathy for the quote-unquote strangest characters in Pedro's films. And the question is, is that coming from his need to empathize with them? And does he have a favorite character? Well, you know, I mean, I, uh, for me, they are not strange characters. They, I look at them in a very natural way. And in many cases, they, they, they were part of my life. Or, or I listen something. I mean, for for example, like Grado, it was based in someone that someone told me about a, a character like that. Um, and uh, no, I mean the, the character of Victoria Abril was, as I explained, uh, it was just a flash uh, of inspiration. Um, but um, but I, you know, I feel I feel very close to all of them even when in the case of the nurse, he's going to commit a crime. Uh, if I'm writing about him, I need to understand him and I need to explain him. And, uh, and, and I cannot blame the character to anything. So uh, all of them, and, and of course the more extreme of them, uh, I feel very close to my heart. Uh, and. Uh, I feel empathy, and I feel that very, very close. I mean, and I suffer with them. So, and I work from inside them. Uh, and there was, I think, only one time that I start writing something about a psycho uh, that, I, that, that I felt very bad with the character, and then I, I, I quit it because I mean, I need to have this kind, I don't want to say compassion, because compassion reminds me a very Catholic uh, word, but uh, just to feel very close to them, because all they are human, and my responsibility as a writer and also as a director is to explain them, to explain how they are. Of course, they are very imperfect, and there is the tale. I mean, I mean you cannot narrate one story about perfect couple, a perfect family, a perfect someone. You know, there is nothing to say about that, perhaps because it doesn't exist. Um, so I always feel very close to all that extreme characters and to what they do. I wish we, <clears throat> we could go on for the next hour, but apparently we can't. Um, so what a privilege it's been um, and a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> Thank and you. Will you join me in thanking um, everyone? <laughs>